0: This is Coda Radio, episode 302 for March 29, 2018. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, like the thinking man sitting on his perch, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Misa, so, so happy to be so here. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's a soft, gentle Jar Jar this week. A kinder Jar Jar. (laughs) I don't think that exists. That's just when Jar Jar is trying to trick you. That's all that is. That's just deceptive Jar Jar. (laughs) I'm on to (laughs) you. Hello, Mr. Dominic. You know, we're starting officially four minutes early this week on a rare Thursday edition,
1: you know? So it's one of those... very. Very special episode of Coda Radio,
0: yeah, and a very—you know—it's one of those uh, episodes that um, it just sort of comes out of nowhere because uh, last minute we had to change up the schedule, and I—I um, I thought it was because you were going to be somewhere like just really important business-wise, like really super super important client meeting, uh, some big release, uh, but then then I saw you Instagramming pictures of beer from Disney Epcot, and. Um, I, I had to know more. I mean, it's totally okay to take a day off from the show to go drink beer, but you got to tell us about it. That, I think that's that's only the fair trade.
1: <laughs> fair enough. You went to Epcot, huh? And you got some brewskis. I had some excellent brewskis. Uh, I think the best one I had is one I've been having for a couple of years every time I go there. Tusker beer, as I was actually informed yesterday, it's an African beer, but it's out of, uh, I think, the Eastern, you know, it's... Eastern side of the continent. I don't know exactly where, oh. but it is phenomenal, and it is very, very hard to purchase when you're not in Epcot. I don't oh. know why. So they have it's like they have a special hookup. Oh, I think it's a distributor thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, interesting.
0: So you uh, you but, uh, were down there with the family?
1: I was down there with the family. Oh, yeah, it's adorable.
0: See, for yeah, me, like a trip to Epcot would be a multi-week. Um, you
1: know, endeavor. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and for you, it's like going to the Space Needle. <laughs> it's no fun. Yeah,
1: it's, it's exactly. For me, the Space Needle would be like a multi-week yeah, yeah. plan. Right?
0: Yeah, it's not worth it. It's definitely not worth it. It looks like that was much more worth it. Well, uh, while you were gone, I was discovering myself a new email app that I, I, when's the last time I've shared an app on the show? I don't know if I ever have actually. I don't think you have. No, but I, this one has been a quality of life improver. It is an iOS only. App. Actually, that's not true. Um, they do have a Mac app too, and it syncs. The two sync up, which uh, I don't I don't really have as much experience with. But Airmail... I,
1: I use both. Oh, you use Airmail? Yeah, but I've been using it for years oh, on real really? iOS and Mac. Yep. Oh,
0: you sly dog. Yeah, so it's a pretty nice mail client. You agree then? You think it's pretty good?
1: Yeah, it's far better than Apple Mail. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So one of the things I like about it is, uh, well, first of all, it has first-class uh, Google app support. It also supports Exchange, if that's how you roll. It's got decent push notification support, including push notifications just for VPs. It uh, has an Apple Watch app, which is decent. um, has snooze capability, which is super, super handy for me. And um, it also syncs all of your accounts between your iOS devices using iCloud, just kind of automatically. But the thing that I think is probably what pushed me over and i'm gonna have to have all of my mail clients have this is it supports 3d touch for quick access and peek and pop which is a great way to just like pop in see if it's an important message and pop out without marking it unread i i really appreciate that also the label sync between ios devices i really appreciate that but the thing that 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 was like oh this is this is a quality of life changer for me it was uh, besides the uh, the way that the vip push notifications work i really appreciate that um, but damn, if it doesn't have location aware notifications, so I don't get notifications at certain locations, like when I'm visiting the kids, it is, that has got to be hands down. The best feature is that feat? is that whole, like now you, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have a battery hit obviously doing that. But, yeah, uh, if you already have location stuff going on in the background, it's not that bad. It also supports, uh, taking attachments from Google Drive, Dropbox, OneDrive, all that kind of stuff. And it supports opening links in Chrome or Firefox, which is also really nice because I have a better workflow there. And one last thing, I'm almost done. It supports workflow. So if you use the Workflow iOS app to make iOS more usable for power users, uh, it supports that as well. So and the Mac app you say is decent?
1: Yeah, the Mac app is decent. Um, It's just like a very small... I don't even know what to say, right? It looks like the. It's one of those apps that has a ton of features that I don't use. I basically is it Electron use... or is it native? Can you? No, know? it's native. It's oh, native. well,
0: that's um, that's nice because more and more, a lot of the mail apps I've been using are Electron, and it, it really does slow down when you have large inboxes. Sure. Oh, you know what? So I, 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 uh, I felt comfortable uh, mentioning it because uh, I was looking at our stats now that we got the new website. And uh, a huge percentage of our listeners are on mobile, huge percentage, um, the vast majority. And so I, maybe every now and then, I'm not gonna do it a frequent thing at all, so don't worry. But every now and then I might mention an app that is very useful that might make you a little more efficient at work. It so it certainly helped with me doing the triage mail thing, so I really
1: like uh, it. Hang on, Chris, I'm, I'm looking into the future on YouTube. Uh, hashtag Apple Action Show.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Do you see somebody giving us a hard time for coder.show code as if we were gonna like custom write the whole Yeah, thing
1: I like? I I I ignored it because I was like, this is someone who
0: For a for a coding sense. podcast that sure has some yeah. pork. First of all, it's not that bad. Dan is a fantastic the guy that wrote Fireside is a fantastic developer. Right.
1: Dan Benjamin, right. Yeah. And by the way, mo- most experienced developers go out of their way not to like write HTML by hand.
0: Right. Just saying. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. It
1: was uh mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? YouTube is a bad place, full of bad people. <laughs> like I just, and I'm I'm only drinking green tea today because I wasn't feeling well this morning.
0: Yeah, so. I've been I've got myself a zip fizz from Costco, so I'm a little fired up. I'm uh, ready to the go. plague
1: ships continue to sail in.
0: Oh, don't they? It's it's so bad. It's the and the more kids you have. Anyways, uh, speaking of triaging email, Richard wrote in. Richard's written into the show before. He says, in case you don't remember, I'm the guy who went to prison while in high school. Um, and uh, then kind of learned myself some programming while I was in there. You guys gave me some advice in my previous email and I'm hoping you can give me insights in my current situation. All right, so uh, brace yourself for this, Mr. Dominic. It's, he says, I've been wrestling with a few choices that will influence my career direct trajectory. I'm fairly familiar with Java and have been building trivial Android apps in school, so I've been letting that weigh heavily on my decision. I'm putting too much significance on the language and platform I'm familiar with. I think I am, but this is a question for you guys. I ask that because I started thinking that maybe it's all transferable enough and that I shouldn't hold myself back to the languages I already know. Uh, he's looking at JavaScript, Node, React. He says, they all seem to be decent, high quality, lots of courseware and education for them. Uh, so I come to you for clear sp- perspective. Should I continue to build on what I know, take advantage of my existing momentum in Java? Uh, he says, I have a basic grasp on a lot of the basics of it. Or should I take the best opportunity available and rely on some knowledge transfer in some degree? Um, he says, you guys don't help matters after one day after listening to Chris, I went to learn Linux from the ground up to, to play some damn DevOps Ninja foo. The next day I listened to Mike and I wanted to buy a rig from System76 and learn Sumerian. This is just kind of a joke. I'm not that fickle, but it does kind of play into my previous advice that I'm seeking. Thanks as always. Your shows are magnificent. Uh, and if either of you are ever in Orlando and don't mind socializing with a damn felon, lunch is on me, Richard.
1: <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. Much of my family are felons. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it would be like a reunion. No, um, yeah, it's like being with family. <laughs> well, uh, it's, take it easy. How, how's that green smoke treating you, by the way? Hey,
0: that's not illegal. Only if I go to Florida. So, the question I have for uh, Richard here is Do you feel like you personally are good at um, taking large concepts and applying them to new ideas? Uh, is that, mm. I mean, isn't that really what it comes down to? Like, if you learn some of the fundamentals in how. Basic good development concepts work. That is applicable to other locations. It's your secret yeah, sauce. Yeah,
1: I mean, well, right. This is one of those things where once you get the basic down, you learn some algorithms, some patterns. The languages become kind of whatever the tool you have to use to get the job done.
0: I do, I do fully uh, empathize with his momentum question. You know, I've got a lot of momentum behind Java. He says, yeah. right. I, or, you know, maybe you've got a lot of momentum behind Objective-C or iOS development.
1: Oh, triggers.
0: So I do kind of sympathize where he's coming from there. Um, but I think that is insecurity is what it feels like to me. Mm. Like he doesn't fully trust
1: himself yet. His I mean, if you, but, but you could kind of split the baby here, right? So if you mm. have experience in Java... That means you have experience on the JVM and Java as a platform. You yes. could look at something like a Kotlin or a Scala.
0: Yeah. Kotlin for sure, right? That's hot right, right. now. Right. Boy, that makes me think of the hoopla we're going to get into here in a little bit. Do you want to... doesn't it? <laughs> do you want to talk... We should wrap this up and then we should get to the hoopla because Just jump right into it. Okay. Well, let me do this. Let's tease it with a little Linux Academy, huh? I mean, because you and I have some thoughts on this. I wonder how much we are on the same page now that time has passed, too. Oh, it's it's very interesting. So let's talk about Linux Academy. Linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's where you go to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial to Linux Academy's training platform. Advanced training tools that increase your skills and... Just like we were talking to Richard, help tune the way you think about critical issues, help you become a better person on your feet when it comes to technical issues, help you have a deeper understanding of the stack that you're working with. It's everything you need to learn and get hands on with Linux and all of the nice things built on top of Linux that help your resume make you a little bit more profit, those kinds of things. It's a super great resource with self-paced, in-depth video courses on every Linux cloud and devops topic including aws and azure and openstack with hands-on scenario-based labs that give you real experience on their servers that they spin up on demand as you need them and i know you're busy we're all busy these days and linux academy knows that so they have a core scheduler that lets you pick a time frame set some learning goals and stick to it and if you get stuck they got real human beings instructors that are available to help you write course material and take care of this stuff i've met some of these guys at scale great great individuals they have a big growing team i couldn't have e- i didn't meet all of them uh and they're just they're just available as a resource to you while you're a member and that in itself is incredible and a unique thing about linux academy plus they have nuggets which are their tiny bits of wisdom you can deep dive into a single topic they have downloadable um, study guides and lesson audio and notebooks and tools that you can use while you're offline or commuting maybe you're a passenger they also have an iOS and Android app and they have flashcards that get forked by a community that is stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members it's great linuxacademy.com/coders go there to support the show and sign up for a free 7-day trial linuxacademy.com/coders and a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program linuxacademy.com/coders Okay, so Oracle and Google have been going at it for years now. It's like
1: Alien versus Predator at this point.
0: It is uh, like yeah, it is almost like a tech franchise, isn't it? Like like every couple of years, there's a new release in the movie theaters. I thought maybe, if you'll allow it, I thought maybe I would play a clip from Bloomberg today. Uh, This is the most highly cited. Uh, article on the internet right now about this issue, and they might explain it better than us. Um, I don't do this often on the show, but here is Bloomberg explaining what the hell is going on with Google and Android as of today. Both Google and Oracle have won, lost, appealed, Where are we now?
2: Yeah. yeah. So we are we're on the third go around now between appeals and trial. Uh, The as you said the case was filed in 2010. There was a trial. There was an appeal. There was another trial. There was an appeal. Now we've gotten to the point where Uh, It looks like Google may petition the Supreme Court Uh, they were on the losing end of the last round of appeals in which the uh, as you said the court ruled that their use of the Java API's was not fair use and that there was no defense to the infringement and that it needs to go back to the trial court to decide what damages are owed Oracle if any.
1: Who has a better case?
2: Right now we view that Oracle has has the better case uh, especially in view of some of the appellate decisions that have come out. One of the things that's clouded this this legal case is it keeps going back and forth. You know Google will uh, secure a victory or a partial victory. Oracle will appeal. The appeals court will side with Oracle. Uh, So the, the legal ground is is shifting a little bit. But at this at this juncture, we think that Oracle has the better case, and they certainly do some compensation for having developed the platform, for uh, the, the the code that's given rise to the Android platform. Talk
0: to us about the broader implications. So of this I think user- when last time you and I talked about this, where we kind of uh, came down in agreement was is what's really going to sink Google, and the and I, I believe both you and I predicted that this would happen was those damn emails between Google engineers and. Um, uh, a Google executive, I, I think it was Andy Rubin, if I recall, uh, who uh, clearly identify. They say we've evaluated all the other alternatives. Quote: They suck. Our conclusion is we need to license Java. And then there's also an email in which uh, they go back and forth about how there's probably some licensing that we're going to do with Java. And then where where or and so Oracle has those emails. And then the, like the one two punch that they did is they took. Their API code, and they took the stuff that's in Android, and they showed how it was essentially a line for line copy. Like even some comments were left in in the early
1: iterations, which have all been right. Well, up it, it was proved that they literally copied it, right? Like, yes. like command C, command V, copy.
0: <laughs> so Google went for a fair use play, and they tried to say, "Look, this is fair use." The appeals court said, "No, it's not." Um, And now it's time for you to pay up. Google says, yes, it is. We're going to take it to the damn Supreme Court if we have to. And the issue that I have is I personally, in my opinion, believe it is not fair use that they had emails internally. I have them linked in the show notes that clearly showed that they knew it wasn't fair use, that they need to license it. And they were they're on the record saying we need to buy a license like Oracle's got them dead to rights here. But Google is banging this, this is devastating for open source development. This is going to set a bad precedence. This is going to be devastating for software developers who are using companies' APIs, which there is some logic to that, especially if Google keeps pushing this damn thing all the way to the Supreme Court and very single-handedly creates some sort of precedent in Oracle's favor here. Google could end up in their obvious superfluous use of fair use. They could end up creating a legal precedent that is bad for all software developers that is my fear
1: right now you you lose me on why i mean why so would Google's it necessarily follow so yeah are definitely going to lose Google. right yeah. see it's, it's i mean we're, neither of us is an attorney but yeah it, it, it seems common sense would say that they knew what they were doing. Why didn't they just get, give Sun a damn? Remember, it was Sun, Sun. before Oracle. And they could right? have
0: probably struck a much better deal back in 2010. Right. And
1: Sun was not known for being particularly strong negotiators, right? So I'm pretty sure Google could have got a really good deal.
0: Yeah, and but, this is this is my point. Is that's why they're going to lose? Is because they knew they needed to license it, because they didn't even bother, and because well, they, they wholesale they copied.
1: need to license it, right? Like they 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 may be saying something different now, yeah, but yes, you know, correct. It's yeah. I, so, but why would that create a, a wider precedent? problem? Right. Yeah. So
0: Google will lose, even if Google takes this all the way to the Supreme Court. That, I mean, in my personal opinion, I could be wrong, but that email evidence seems so super damning to me that there's just no way they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna win. And the problem is, is then future lawsuits between other companies, like let's say uh, you know some company want to go after Mad Botter for using their API in the future. Fabulous. They now have this precedent where, well, Google used Oracle's Java APIs and they went all the way to the Supreme Court and lost. So there is now a precedent for that kind of case going in the direction of the person who's claiming damages. You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems like it starts yeah, like... Yeah, but that's not that's not okay. the
1: same. Okay,
0: I hope. Right? I hope G- it doesn't G- create, like, a legal example. So, I hope so.
1: Right, so the question is, and this is where I think, the, this, this has been going on for years, right? And I think we got a lot yeah. of flack. Yeah. Because people wanted this case to be about
0: or using someone's guy. api oracle being a bad and, guy and oracle not getting open source and oracle not understanding that right. what apis are that's what everybody wanted like it to be
1: whether done. or not oracle are bad guys i don't know right but well, yeah you do so it's possible <laughs> right the bad guy can be right i'm just yeah, saying like that's the thing it, unfortunately it, 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 like google is not going to lose because they're using a compatible API or what, we, what in the past we might've called like reverse engineering. Right. Right. Uh, I know the term's a little out of favor these days. Right.
0: It's not like they, it's not, but, they're not losing because they white. they, they
1: clean roomed losing because they knew they were needed a license. Yeah. And whether, now if you have like some philosophical issue with people licensing things and making money, that's great. That's not how it works though. Right. <laughs> so like, I get what you're saying. Theoretically, some scumbag lawyers, like the people who were suing everybody doing in-app per- purchases a couple years ago, could claim that they have some kind of intellectual property surrounding the structure of a REST API. Is that basically what you're what you're yes, asserting? Yes, exactly.
0: And maybe it's, so, it's maybe it's actually like anti-competitive motivated. So it's somebody gets to a certain size, and then the incumbent tries to snipe. Right. Them. But but I got like
1: a legal threat when I had Code Journal out years ago for text highlighting. Right. So it's another frivolous lawsuit from scumbags who, you know, have a little bit of money and buy up a bunch of patents and sue people. I I, I don't understand just because
0: of the grandeur of it that's a great point and i I feel like you're you're probably right i would just say the only difference to me feels like the grandeur of it especially if it goes to i mean it's oracle and google it's two titans going
1: all the way to the supreme court well the weirdness about this case to me has always been just the brazenness of google right like not only did you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar you're still trying to play fair use and Sun would have been much easier to deal with. That's the sick part, right? Like, ha- yes, Sun may have wanted you to, like, brand it, Java, right? Or Sun, you know, you, you may have lost some stuff, some control of your platform. But probably not, right? Sun was not in fabulous shape at the time, if we remember our history. Yeah, yep. Um, well, this I'm is sure 2010,
0: a- so Google also wasn't the
1: Google of today either. No, but they were still pretty wealthy, right? Like, yeah. they could have they could have <laughs> thrown Sun quite a lot of money and I'm going to, I'm going to say this, right? Like, and this is going to get some hate mail. One of the reasons Sun had to be acquired was because Sun had a problem with making money. Sure. Right. They were the, they were the good guys of, of the, I would say that generation of tech company.
0: Well, and, and before you go down that route, cause I think you're about to make right. a good point. Uh, I don't want to go too far from back in 2010. Why did Google do this? What was their motivation to just wholesale copy this stuff? At which they later on cleaned up and fixed, but they, what? Why did they want Android to use Java for app development? Why do you? It's in
1: their emails,
0: right? They knew that it was because there was. You're right. It is in the emails. They knew that there was an existing developer base that they were. They were. They were Johnny come lately to the market. Apple had beaten them, and they knew that if they went with Java, they would have a built-in base of a ton of developers. So they if like so they made the decision to get in on the mobile ecosystem and they did, made a decision from a market uh, like uh, let's take advantage of all these developers, even if it't especially back in 2010, it just wasn't the best choice for mobile app development. But they did it anyways, and they wholesale copied the APIs from my understanding of reading their emails. I could be wrong, but my understanding is that they knew what they were doing um, all of it's very brazen. It's all, it was a deliberate choice to choose Java. It was a deliberate choice because of the built-in developer base. And it was a deliberate choice not to license uh, anything, not to, not, not, even have a conversation with someone and say, Hey, we're going to make this thing compatible with your version of Java to do that. We're going to use some of the same API structures because honestly, that's just going to make this stuff compatible and let us hit the ground running and mean more Java apps. Are you on board with that? And then Sun could have, they could have started the conversation there. So sorry, right. back to sun, and, but I didn't mean to derail. Yeah, but I no, think it's I mean, important but, but, to think but, about that.
1: Before, before we go down the sun road, because actually, I, I, feel like, I feel like lots of people don't talk about sun enough, just in general. Um, like if you happen to have an Apple podcast, maybe consider doing a sun podcast instead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is another thing in those emails that is truly sick. One of the engineers said we could of course use C sharp and uh, I don't have the link to the email but I, we can find this later but they didn't want to because <laughs> just because it didn't feel good to them right
0: yeah they the yeah, of there's the irony there's a lot of animosity thing, to microsoft back then right
1: the irony of this whole thing is had they used c sharp and not that I'm like advocating for c sharp but i mean from a developer install base and like easy to pick up language perspective in 2010 right because there's no, you know, Kotlin and we'll get to Kotlin in a little bit, but they wouldn't have needed a license. Cuz of the way Microsoft does at the time and still now, they could have just done it as long as they didn't like hmm. steal .net.
0: And think about all the tools they could have just used that are
1: way better. Than I mean, you. I understand why they didn't want to cuz at the time that would have yeah. meant they were a Windows shop and they were yeah. pretty heavily uh yeah. Mac Linux placed, Yeah. yeah but yep, yep. yep. I, you kind of have I don't I, I don't feel bad, right? And like this the something is the only person I feel bad for is Sun because they built so many amazing technologies. Yeah. Um, let's just call it Java. And I, I actually think Solaris was quite a powerful workstation OS. And ZFS. ZFS came and ZFS. from. ZFS. Yeah.
0: I know. And that's and just, just. And then the, the, not to mention the Spark processor line, which was
1: incredible. I didn't even. I forgot about that. And then yeah. they had a bunch of database technologies. Yeah. Yeah. Later, and like. yeah. yeah. That, I mean, we could go on and on, actually. And they somehow failed to, like, make any money. Like, <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. And Apple comes out with a hard drive in a box, calls it an iPod, throws in a three-point-five millimeter headphone jack, which years later they would be courageous and get rid of, <laughs> and beats the shit out of
0: everybody. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The uh. way yeah, that's true. Um, so now do you feel like uh, so? Here's what I noticed, and this is kind of what that uh, got me a little fired up about this topic is even in our Jupiter Broadcasting Telegram group this morning there was discussions about how evil oracle is about how open source development's going to be ruined about how developers are going to be destroyed and they they're not drawing these conclusions on their own this is essentially the messaging that google is putting out via different current and past blog posts, Uh, PC World, I think, has a timeline of the entire Google lawsuit between Oracle and Google. And back in 2010, 2011 and 2012, Google was really positioning this entire lawsuit as an entire attack against all of open source. And so I feel like that's still playing like there's ripples of that positioning that are still playing out in the community discussion. And there's there's really no conversation about any wrongdoing on Google's part. You and I are the outliers here. Like, we're going to get hate for even saying this it,
1: stuff. It, well, we, we every every time this comes up, we get a bunch of hate mail, right? But it, it, first of all, it's not necessary to, like, love a company. And well, I guess if you're an Apple fan, it is necessary. But that's more. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: that's, like just, a cult, that's just, yeah.
1: <laughs> as Chris looks longingly into his HomePod. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't get it, right? I, I, re- I really don't get the we have to defend Princess Google, you know, the dragon's coming and we have to save the princess. Google is a multi-billion dollar company that does many good things. It also straight up robbed Sun. So maybe there should be some sort of punishment for robbing Sun. or Or maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the opposite way, right? Like, listen, I wish Sun was still around and maybe Google wasn't, right? Like, I think we would have more interesting developments than we do today um, if Sun had survived.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like the consolidation of all of the other things that we see, the cable companies, the ISP market. We sort of consolidated now down to Google, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, and then it trails off. Oracle's on that list. There's probably another 50 on that list in reality, but it's really the top four or five that we've consolidated all of our Um, talent because they're so massive these companies are so huge and so rich that they create this huge talent drain there's this i mean i see it here in seattle because we have amazon and microsoft and it is this it's like the earth and the and the like the seattle is like the earth and then you have the sun and the moon and they're constantly having this gravity fight and it's always like ebbs and flows in our employment entire employment market you can even see it like when microsoft has a bad couple of months and they lay people off you see it in the traffic like the traffic here changes like it's it is this these two massive titans and they're just a couple of them where everything's consolidated now you go back to 2010 there was way more mom and pop style shops there was a lot and large companies like sun it's just all changing now and so you 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 keep that in mind, keep that context in mind when I move us to our next story. Holy hell, dude, Are you, the, the backlash against Facebook and data collection the last two weeks has been unlike anything we've ever seen.
1: Yeah. The, the, wow. I mean, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So social media is full on 100% absolutely guaranteed getting regulation of some kind from the yeah, federal they're, they're,
1: government. They're, I mean... Well, did you see Tim Cook on TV just yep. scoriating Zuckerberg? Yeah, like, I, would I don't know what he did to Uncle Tim. Says, yeah, right. It was like, wow. Yeah.
0: yeah. What do you think about this? What do you think? Because there is there is a there is a meta topic here about monetization. We talked about monetization. Talk yeah. What do you? Because there are fewer and fewer options for developers to make money. Uh, selling ads, if done right, is one of them. Uh,
1: um. Yeah. So, so I, first thing I was thinking about this for the show was, I mean, all the like, should Facebook's business model actually exist stuff that the media is going let, Let's just like ignore that. For the, I know a lot of developers in the last, let's say, six years have moved away from like direct cash monetization or yeah. subscriptions and gone completely to like, you know, ads, really, ads right? Targeted ads. Or, in-app ads, or some other something, something. We, weird forms of data collection where they're actually like harvesting data to people's accounts and selling it, which is bad. Um, that all looks like it's about to become a lot harder. Yeah. Like a lot harder. Yeah. Thanks Facebook.
0: Right. I mean, they really blew it.
1: <laughs> they blew well, it, it. it. It really, there's so many ways you can take this, right? Like e- e- facebook's never gonna really get hurt they're gonna get some regulation they're gonna lose i mean they've lost a ton of market cap um 60 billion dollars in
0: in stock price
1: nice job that's amazing but they're gonna find a way through right one because no matter what happens in the u.s the u.s isn't the growth market for facebook right now it's it's overseas yeah um particularly asia the scarier thing is like what happens something we haven't mentioned on the show is that EU regulation that's coming out. Yeah, the GDPR or whatever it is. I just GDPR, started covering it in tech. That, that is going to affect just about every single listener of the show. Yeah. Um, and, and And. It is. this is, again, my opinion, and I'm not an attorney, but from the coverage I've read and reading what was officially announced about it, this is a law, a, a piece of regulation, that affects you if you have customers in Europe, right? So if you're on the internet, guess what? Someone from you know England or wherever, can, England maybe be a bad choice because we're leaving the EU, but France, can go onto your site and use your app. And it, it seems extremely broad. And I would almost, like conspiracy theories say, it is so broad intentionally because that cookie law ended up doing nothing, right? that this is one of those types of regulations that everybody's violating and it's going to be one of those things where if you do something else stupid or that irks the authorities then. they will then hit you with this. Yep. <laughs> right? It's like it's like speeding a little bit. Everybody's yes. speeding a little bit. Yes, but be- if you're obviously drunk, they're going to pull you over for speeding, right? Yeah. So, as a small business, I'm terrified of this law. Yeah. Cuz this it, the there will be a not insignificant cost to yeah. compliance. Well,
0: like, think about uh, Jupiter Broadcasting. We have members. Yeah, you're in
1: trouble. We yeah, have I patrons.
0: Know. You know, we have people that are PayPaling us uh, a contribution from uh, areas that will be impacted by this law. And so I technically have inf- personal data on them. Uh, and so I, I either have to rely on Patreon and PayPal creating some sort of. Uh, Uh, process for me or Jupiter Broadcasting is going to have to come up with something internally which is something we're we're beginning to talk about It's it's gonna affect all kinds of businesses Anywhere where you have if you have a customer from an area where this law isn't it is not is in effect Which is going to be pretty much anybody that has an internet business? You are gonna have to deal with this and Facebook. It's like the timing of all of this is is nuts because um,
1: politically it's very bad yeah, right? the, uh, for facebook Yeah, the
0: gdpr or whatever it is it passed in 2016 now it goes it goes it goes live in may and then facebook all this crap with cambridge analytica and facebook comes out and um i don't know like it's it's not well,
1: it's it's just not it's not stopping like the facebook attack continues i mean but devil's advocate right like because i you know what some regulation might actually be positive i i, I don't in my heart i'm not sure i believe that um because it 10 it, it's a very blunt instrument regulation right you yeah. can't
0: and it's it's not i it, actually don't like, disagree it's just slow and facebook will just adapt and they will begin doing something yeah. else that does isn't covered by the regulation and they will do it 5 years before the regulators are hip to it i mean this has been facebook's model from day 1 and the government's just now waking up
1: they're too slow See, i think it's, it well it's going to get more uncomfortable when we start seeing a bunch of small time um, app developers, whether they be mobile web or whatever, who rely heavily on Facebook for revenue and for advertising. And also don't forget it's advertising revenue into the developer, but many developers buy Facebook ads, right? Like I occasionally buy them to like, if I'm trying to drum up business. Right.
0: And the first time you ever did it, were you shocked at how targeted you could get? I mean, when you saw the, I still
1: don't know how to do it the right way. Somebody was showing me something last week where I was like, I I can do that.
0: Yeah, you you can get down in the weeds Damn. about people's preferences. And the only way they can do that is by mining. Like
1: there's mining, just... Mining all this data, mm-hmm, Right. Mm-hmm. So what is that? Uh, what is that? Yeah, I don't even know, right? Yeah. What, is, what does that mean? Like, sh- should we feel bad for the little app developer who's going to lose a ton in advertising rev- revenue?
0: I don't know. Or I should mean, we, should
1: we just tell him that he ought to like charge money?
0: You know, I can tell you something. Uh, I actually think I think I'm coming to a conclusion right now as we talk about this. This is helping me firm my opinion up. Um, You don't need all that data to sell ads. I've been selling ads on the Jupyter Broadcasting Network for years now, and I literally have no data. I don't even I don't even store the IP addresses nothing i store nothing i have podtrack and, and 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 another service i have two different services that track numbers um, and, I, and I, I take the numbers from them. I don't take any identifiable information other than I get, I get general vague ideas about what countries people are downloading from, and in the U.S., I even get it down to the state that you're downloading from. But I don't even keep track of anybody's IP addresses, none of it, because the only data point that I need is that the advertiser says the ad's working and that they're getting a sufficient level of engagement that justifies continuing to pay. And that is, at the end of the day, the only two metrics that matter is the advertiser is happy and the advertiser is continuing to pay. And you don't need to know if there are a white person from the Pacific Northwest uh, living in an RV like, you and it has a dog and three kids. You don't need to know that information. You just have to have a good idea about who your audience is because you know what kind of product you're making. And then you have to now have an idea of what kind of ads to sell. And then the advertiser has to be happy. That's it. So I'm coming down from, no, I don't actually think it's going to screw over uh, independent developers. It screws over people who are actually in the business of being a data broker. See, that's the thing that Facebook is, it's not just Cambridge Analytica. The Obama campaign got a whole bunch of data Mm. from Facebook. There's a company just came out today that supposedly got a whole bunch of data from Facebook. It's even available on the web. Facebook is ending their partnership with Expedia, or not Expedia, Experian. They had a data sharing agreement with Experian. The FICO score people—that's not great—and they just announced today that they're going to discontinue that agreement. So they were in the data business; they were—that's what they were in. If you're in the advertising business solely, you don't actually have to have all that stuff. It is more effective if you can target your ads, and you need to know who to sell the ads to. But perhaps the solution there is just not to do it at this scale, you know. And so, if you're a small shop development company, you're not operating at the scale. Like I, you know, we do this way too often. So maybe we should take like a six month break, but before we take that six month break, I'm gonna mention one last time, Marco Armit. I'm sorry. But if Are you-, you in love? The way he does overcast ads is how all ads should be done, really. Because it's ads for podcasts, and he sells a podcast, or he, he for for free, Makes a podcast app called Overcast. And if you just use Overcast for free, when you go to the ad podcast browse directory, at the top of each category, he sells one ad. So if you want to go look at technology podcasts, when you look at the technology directory of podcasts, at the very top, clearly labeled as an ad, is one technology podcast. And then the rest are all just the ones that are based on stats. And that's the way you, he doesn't have to know anything about me. He, he just he knows that I'm in the technology category, so I'm likely in interested, and I'm on a podcast app, so I'm likely interested in technology podcasts. And sure enough, if it doesn't work, in fact, I've even considered buying ads myself. Uh, and it's simple, it's easy, it's clear. It doesn't require any data tracking, doesn't require any personal data. And that I think that that model is something that other mobile and desktop developers and web developers could model it's it's light he he sells the ads directly so he doesn't have to have like some massive price because there's no 70% middleman and he doesn't have to have some crazy ad network that could be injecting anything randomly it's it's clean simple and direct I I think that's the path I think the problem is is that companies like Google and Facebook and many others are trying to do this at a scale of millions. Where you where you have all these different kinds of demographics that are using your service. See, Jupiter Broadcasting has compared to Facebook has a very niche demographic, very specific. Same with you, really. Your apps right. are very niche compared to Facebook, and and I so I don't think I think it's big companies that are going to get fucked by this, and it's the small developers who are actually that's doing. Interesting. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, Am I crazy?
1: Uh, no, I don't think you're crazy at all. Actually, one, one of the before the big news of today came up, we were I was going to do a, a show note on the topic of focus, because what I'm finding for for myself, and I think you're finding is it is much easier and more effective as a small guy to just really niche down and yeah. laser focus on yeah. your target customer. Yeah. Rather than try to go toe to toe big. Right. Um,
0: yeah. Th- yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's why we don't have this week in in Apple. You know, we don't have uh, This Week in Mobile. We don't have uh, Android Action Show because while I think those shows would probably have a decent-sized audience, um, there's so many other people that are doing that, you know? That's like when you, yeah. launched, when you launched the Mad Botter, you really nailed the timing on that. Now the problem is that you got more and more competition than ever. Like, your area is... Man, that is really competitive. that is a that is a shrinking, shrinking, shrinking amount of air that you are breathing currently,
1: well, and that's why you have to really hyper focus, right? and and that's that's the solution you think? Well, I hope it is. I think you're probably right. yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it,
0: in a way that the large companies just simply can't afford to do at scale
1: right because they have a bigger nut to crack every quarter right like that's this ultimately what it all and they got down they to. got dozens
0: or hundreds or more of uh payroll to meet and all kinds of right. issues
1: yeah i don't know though right so i mean the the irony is the way i might focus is by you know if i knew how to do it which i don't i would do like targeted facebook ads right <laughs> I'm just saying, like if I was competent to do that effectively, that would be a good there's for you. N- right there is no reason that would not be a viable marketing effort for me. I've tried it in the past and it's never been very effective um but I think that's more my incompetence in that area than anything else, so I I mean, we're off the rails. but So I, w- I was watching CNBC, as one does. sure. And um, that guy, Kevin O'Leary, if you know him from Shark Tank, if you watch Shark Tank, uh, he's kind of like, uh, he's an interesting guy. Have
0: you noticed they've had Calacanis on there more, too, recently?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know why that J-
0: Jason though. Calacanis. I don't know. He's he's always got something fun to say. You know, while I did while you see I, when
1: the Microsoft chief uh, chief scientist was on there? No, you, you had the ho- they had a whole panel, and it was like, which one of these guys is for Microsoft? It was pretty easy. Yeah, he had yeah, dreads. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah that actually, though, while I, while I've while I've got it uh, a tangent here, the nice thing about CNBC is it's all about the money. It's all about the stock price and the market, and it's not right. as much about politics or what Trump said or what Russia is doing. It's really about money, and at the end of the day, that's almost the universal truth when it comes to these companies.
1: So that's actually why I watch CNBC. Yeah, you have to respect their honesty. Yeah, like yeah. You, you really do. And you know what? that if you view things through that lens, it always t- does tend to follow the money.
0: It does, yeah, yeah.
1: So anyway. But anyway, he, he was saying, you know, he because so if you don't know, Kevin O'Leary is like a rich investment guy. And one of the things he does is he invests in small companies, both on and off the TV show, Shark Take. The idea, so he, he had a take that, I feel like the other panels kind of blew him off, but I think this is actually very true. He said, my portfolio companies that I've invested in that are very small, And the only way they've been able to compete in terms of marketing with the big boys is by using hyper aggressive, hyper targeted Facebook advertising. I'm paraphrasing, he would never say hyper, but yeah, yeah, get my point. Right. And that felt true to me, right? That, that, that instinctually feels true. So I don't wonder, I I think it's going to come both ways. I think you're right. The data brokers, which is what Facebook is, are going to get hurt. But should you lose the ability to to hyper focus your targeting, I do think a lot of small companies who are right now driving their growth, um, and and frankly their their traffic right through face through, through very precisely targeted Facebook ads, are going to feel some pain.
0: Yeah, yeah, I you are right. But see, Facebook lets you be um, not lazy. Facebook lets you hit the easy button. Um, I'm not convinced the Facebook ads actually work. I think people just scroll right past them, and then Facebook it counts it as a view because somebody scrolled past it. Uh, I I I think more targeted advertising works better than so say like uh, uh, say you had uh, uh, um, I'll give you an example of a of a sponsor who approached me recently. And we just we we only we are Jupiter Broadcasting is pretty particular. We we just. Won't do too many ads like we have this hard limit based on the length of the show or the content or whatever and it depends on the show and we had somebody who I think would have been um, a pretty good sponsor because what they let you do is they let you upload to Dropbox or OneDrive or Google Drive uh, box etc using SCP and SSH so think about like from like a a, like a bash scripting standpoint or even rsync being able to like copy down configs from like a Dropbox or like, that's sweet, right? And uh, So I'll give them a free plug. I think it was couchdrop.io, I think. Let me go see. So if you go there and you sign up, tell them you heard about it here on the Coder Radio program, maybe. (laughs) Anyways, uh, so yeah, yeah, it was couchdrop. Chris, you got to get the
1: check first. Come on.
0: I know. Well, I'm giving away the milk now, but my point is uh, um, they took the... The long route. They didn't go. They didn't do a Facebook ad. They went and they downloaded a few episodes of our shows because they tried to get in the headspace of their customer. They said, "Well, who the hell is using our product? People that would that would want to use SCP and SSH. They're probably people in the DevOps, SysAdmin, that kind of category. Well, where can we where can we find them? And from there, they found Jupiter Broadcasting, and that's when they contacted me and they said, "We would like to market to your customers now a A secure, easy way to SCP stuff up to Dropbox and OneDrive and other uh, cloud services is something that would be particularly applicable to the Jupyter Broadcasting audience. So they did it. They didn't have to go through Facebook. Right. It took them, though, the time to get in the headspace of the customer to go find what the customer would be ingesting and or they themselves are the customer in a way. And so they're already ingesting that material. And so then they know where to advertise. But either way, it's just more legwork. It's not that it's not possible. It's that Facebook made it really easy. But I don't I don't know if they worked. You know, like they made it simpler for you to find your customers. Right. But you don't actually know how well they worked, and it just made it easier, right?
1: Yeah. That's, see, see, the problem is I am not, like, a marketing guy, right? Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. We, you know, the, we would have to have marketing radio to really figure this out. <laughs> I, I, I have tried it in the past, and I have assumed that its failings have been my failings, right? That may not be the case. So You could be right. This could all, like... If that's true, then Facebook's pulled the biggest con in, in recent history by convincing everybody that their platform is so powerful. And then if it yeah, doesn't actu- yeah, actually do what it's supposed I mean, to so do. W-
0: but what about as a customer? You know, you buy ads, you spend X amount of hundreds of dollars, and then you get all these stats about impressions and views and reshares. Like, it, it's almost like it, it it's... It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You buy the ad and then they show you how well it did. And of course, they've built the system to to surface uh, sponsored posts to uh, more people than non-sponsored posts, so you automatically get more views. And a view, even for a video, counts as two to three seconds. So, you know, like it is sort of a big scam. It really is. And I bet some of it's effective. I've experimented over the years. Uh, I've bought I've bought a few ads here and there and stuff like that. And, you know, we have the corresponding web stats to compare to the Facebook stats. And I can I can say that it's a huge it's a huge delta between their claimed engagement versus the actual like hit throughs to the website. It's a huge delta. And that man, I've been doing Facebook ad experimentation for probably six years, seven years. Mm. just on and off as uh, like we've got like when we've had like a really great episode i might try like a promoted post or i might try a, try a facebook ad to a certain demo because it'll let me target linux users it'll let me target english-speaking linux users and so why not run an ad right especially if i have like a great linux action show but uh the web stats uh, tell the rest of the story and in there they show that it's not actually as um It's not as great as they say, but you know what is better than they say? And I mean it, it's DigitalOcean. It's better than I can even explain. DigitalOcean.com. Go over there and try it out. In fact, I got a great URL where you can get $100 credit for about 60 days. You get $100 you can use at DigitalOcean if you go to do.co slash coder. Do.co slash coder. Digital Ocean is simplicity at scale. You go up there, use their great dashboard or their simple, well-documented, straightforward API, deploy infrastructure like that. That was me snapping my fingers. DigitalOcean.com. You can also use our promo code CODERDIGITAL if you're already on their website, and you can get a $10 credit. But go to do.co slash CODER. do.co slash CODER. You get the hundred dollar credit. DigitalOcean, man, what a so. For example, right, uh, you know what? How about this? Right now, as I am reading, as I am speaking these words to you, I am using DigitalOcean to rebroadcast the stream to UStream, Twitch, and two different YouTube channels, as well as Scale Engine. We have two different servers at digi- two different droplets at DigitalOcean that take care of that. I'm using it to log into an IRC bot. Oh, and then we also have JBot, our, 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 we've, we've dedicated JBot because it's a Ruby app that has a memory leak. We've dedicated a droplet to that that is also logged into the chat room that also monitors for titles. So that's uh, one, two, three droplets that I'm using right now as I speak to do this show. And the reason why is because the pricing is bananas. My favorite system is just three cents an hour, three cents. Three cents an hour. So if I want to try something out for a couple of hours, that's just nothing. It's nothing. And if you go to our uh, do.co slash coder promo and get the $100 credit, I mean, you could actually build, like, a complete enterprise infrastructure with that. Because normally they give us a ten dollar credit, and that's plenty. And they also have amazing options like Spaces, which is their S3 compatible storage option. They have block storage as well, if you just want to have mounted as like a dev slash device. They've got tons of distros to choose from, as well as free BSD, network level firewalls, documentation for days that'll help you get even more out of your system, and entire images that are ready to deploy. Like, as an example. You want to go make a Ghost blog or a GitLab setup for your for your enterprise, one-click deployment, and that's just that's just like just the tip of the iceberg. They got a lot more. They also have new flexible droplets for fifteen dollars a month. You can mix and match your resources. Which you know, say you need a lot of memory. Which now that I now that I say that out loud. I could move our memory-leaking JBot Ruby app over to a system that has less disk and a lot more memory. <laughs> That's not actually a bad idea. Dio.co slash coders. Do, no S, just DO.co slash coder. Go get that limited time, 60-day, $100 credit, and really build something incredible at DigitalOcean. $100 credit, Mike. Woo.
1: That's a lot of DO. That is a lot of DO. I mean, you can use the money you save on hosting to, like, fix your memory leak.
0: That's true. That is actually in the works. Uh, So, just a quick mention, because we've talked a lot about Microsoft these last few weeks, there is yet another massive shakeup at Microsoft today. And it's a big reorg that kind of refocuses the company on the cloud and AI. So, Satya Nadella disclosed two Microsoft employees, which leaked out to the press today. Within
1: 14 seconds,
0: yeah, which includes huge reorganization, specifically to the Windows aspect. Uh, Terry Myerson, who was part of an acquisition like a decade ago, uh, who headed up Windows to business since 2013, is leaving the company. Uh, Satya puts it as he's pursuing his next chapter outside Microsoft. <laughs> It's that's like he's spending more time with his family. And uh, so what Microsoft is doing, which I find to be fascinating, is they're carving up his job into multiple pieces. And it's sort of deprioritizing Windows and reprioritizing other things. Um, So you have the Windows devices group. You have Office. You have cloud and enterprise. And then you have AI and research and gaming. Gaming is essentially the only division that is being left untouched. All the other divisions are getting uh, chopped up and moved around with big emphasis on cloud and AI research. Um, Microsoft is going all in on the bots and AI, Mike. How do you feel about that, Mr. Madbotter?
1: Um, I mean, I feel like it's a good idea for them, right? I I think it's interesting. I, I feel like I'm living in a bizarre world a little bit. Like, can you imagine, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, a day when Microsoft would put, unquote, put Windows on the back burner?
0: No. I actually was just on Slashdot, of all places, today. And one of the things that Slashdot has, I totally forgot. I know. I totally forgot, but they have Today and Slashdot on the sidebar. And um, on Today and Slashdot from uh, 2011 or 12. Was Microsoft and Unisys working together to launch the Unix is bad, Windows is better campaign and the total cost of ownership campaign that really tried to put, position Linux and Unix as super expensive to administer and that they were a bad total cost of ownership and that Windows, because of all of the available talent, was the much superior option? That used to be their argument is that everybody knows Windows. Now everybody's writing for Linux. It's all changed, Mike. It's But it was funny. I saw that. That today and you know this is another sign of the times and uh microsoft will get further and deeper into these markets and they will begin selling things directly i believe just like they now sell hardware directly to compete with their oem partners they're going to start offering software and services that compete with other people that are making these types of things software directly we consulting services perhaps yeah perhaps yes yeah yeah, but uh, after 20... Oh, I'm sorry. I said I think I said a decade. He was at Microsoft for 21 years. 21 years. No, he was... A- uh, yeah, it was 97, I think, that, or something. No, 2000. I don't know. 2003, something. He was involved with Exchange. So I know he's been around for a really long time. Uh, and that's a huge shift. And that's... You know, I was told off the record, too, about people that have been fired that have not made the the presses. You see, we hear about a couple of people coming and going. We hear about a couple of the reorgs. But if anybody who's worked in a large corporation, what you realize is these or these reorgs that we hear about have like these year long ripple effects internally. Uh, so you hear right. about like right, you hear about like one guy going and then it turns out like, well, once once that guy left, we reorganized all of the departments underneath him and they're all of the middle and, and lower level people were also let go, but we don't they don't get headlines because they don't have names that people recognize. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a funny yeah. thing, the way tech companies work like
1: that. It's 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 a funny thing, too, how Microsoft is almost becoming, or I think they're becoming, the best possible version of IBM.
0: Wow, you're right. I hadn't really right, thought about, about that, but like a modern, good version of IBM.
1: Right when because like okay so the, let's let's think about like what they are not forget about revenue statements for now let's let's look at w- what they're promoting and think they're going to be selling in the future platforms Azure um, some software but you know Microsoft Office is getting cheaper every day it seems yeah and it doesn't seem like it's going to take long just like IBM will build you an iOS app or, and you know a, num- a Watson app right. It, it doesn't seem like it's going to take long for Microsoft to make the not so unintuitive, very, very obvious leap. It's like, well, if you want something on the Microsoft platform and you are a big company, why not just have us do it?
0: You know, um, it makes so much sense. It's like taking out the middleman for them and, uh, and it allows them to be the direct provider instead of having to go through valuable resellers like they var like they used to, <laughs>
1: Right, we're partnering with ISVs, right? Yes. Like this. This yes. is. Um, it feels like that's and and, and you, that is. I'm trying to think if that's like a bad thing for the industry. I don't know. Right. That's the problem with comparing them to IBM is, IBM. is IBM is big and important, but they're not that big. Like they have a very very strong hold on a very very small. Well,
0: you go you go back to I'm, 1980 in the early 90s, and it's all that mattered was IBM. Yeah. My point. And then my point is. Yeah. Is that I actually using your analogy? It could be good long term because if so, I, we, the one thing you haven't really talked about is uh, their AI stuff. Which if I think about Microsoft and what they're going to do with AI, it's machine learning and artificial intelligence and fancy sorting as a service. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be it's going to be fancy AI as a service that's exposed via different APIs that are integrated into Azure. That's what they're going for, but at the same time. That means they're going to create a platform that developers like you could build a product on top of.
1: Yeah, but it, it, right, but it seems you, like they're just means you don't get to build the roads. product now.
0: You can't build the product now. You have to build something on top right. of the product.
1: That's you. Well, well, it, so even if right, even if they like directly compete in the consulting space, they're only going to go for the big of the big. Right. Yeah, they're yeah. they're. They're going to create a whole ecosystem underneath them. But one thing I have noticed in in kind of like exploring opportunities and having conversations with them, all roads must lead to Azure. Yes. It's... Yes,
0: absolutely. That, that explains a lot of their thinking. Azure... Right, and that is like... And even if that Azure. means... Like so, did you see this week that uh, Microsoft has open sourced some libraries and a like a sample kit that any Linux distribution can use yeah. now to create a universal Windows application that gets submitted to the uh, uh, Windows App Store?
1: Yeah, and that, or well, or you could have your custom, I mean, Linux ish yes. distro, right? But, but don't, kid you use internally.
0: don't kid yourself. Don't so kid yourself. That's about. That's about Azure. That's about developers using Windows. They want developers using Windows because of Azure. Like it really, all roads do lead back to Azure.
1: Well, I think that's how they see them monetizing, right? Like I wouldn't be surprised. And I don't. I, this may already be true. I just don't know. If there's like some, you know, crack team of, we'll get you off of your on-premises stuff. We will do the migration for you and get you on an Azure contract. Because it, it does seem like, like I look at Microsoft IoT, tight Azure integration. In fact, now they call it Azure IoT, right? <laughs> uh, the Microsoft Bot Framework, Azure. Um, Lewis Cognitive Engine runs on Azure and it only runs on Azure actually, you can't you can't run it otherwise. So it, it's actually quite, I, I'm a, it, actually I think you're right, it is a good thing because like they are going to out of necessity enable smaller businesses.
0: Yes, right. Because they need as the long ecosystem. as you can
1: pay the Azure tax, right? right? As long as you can pay your tolls, um, it's almost like when Amazon. It's, it's very Amazon-esque. Right? Amazon yes. will give you anything you need, provided you're paying your AWS bill.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I uh, I had a chat. Uh, with someone uh, uh, that is familiar with the uh, AWS infrastructure to a pretty intimate degree. And um, this was last week and uh, the, since our last episode, actually. And uh, he told me that AWS is, is so large at the scale now that uh, they, they don't even really care about like Linode or DigitalOcean Competition or GoDaddy or anybody that's offering uh, OVH. They don't, that's not even on their radar. The only Competitor that is on the AWS radar. Can you guess what it is? Azure. Azure. It's the only competitor right. they care about right now.
1: That's yeah. That, even Google Cloud is just not that.
0: Uh, yeah. Oh no. They. They. Yeah. They had. They had funny things to say. They had. They laughs were had at the expense of Google Cloud because, as you would expect, um, people leave the the AWS team and go work for Google because Google's like kind of snipe hiring. You know that kind of talent. And then they also leave Google after starting there and realizing it sucks, and they come back to AWS and they they share the love about how how basic Google Cloud is compared to AWS. That was part of the.
1: I, I've I've never been a huge Google Cloud
0: fan. <laughs> well, it's just it's a different scale, right? It's just a totally different scale. So, and and okay. Azure has been, I think, because of Microsoft's successful on-premises deployments and then migrating a lot of those to Azure, creating an obvious on-ramp and their work with developers. Their micro nobody is as good like Microsoft in that space. Like when it comes to like people that have cloud infrastructure, nobody like yeah. nobody works like Microsoft with developers. And I think they leveraged all of those things to to really get Azure to a seriously competitive level. In a way that's also forced the company to become more friendly with open source and Linux. And if you need any more evidence than that, that it's all all roads lead to Azure. When you look at their attitude towards Linux and open source, like all it's because of Azure and getting people's uh, uh, getting the larger development communities adoption of Azure that they are open sourcing NET Core and PowerShell Core and now how to submit applications to the subsystem and Visual Studio Code and my list could probably go on and on. There's all, all reasons go back to Azure there 100%. so I think you're totally astute. but it does mean they're gonna eat lunch of, of of a lot of shops and especially as they have to differentiate from AWS they're gonna eat they're gonna be eating different kids' lunches.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see if they avoid the temptation to try to lock you in. Yeah because um, you know I we talk a lot about Docker. Docker is like my anti in antidote, right? Because basically, as long as you, know, you got to be careful, but as long as you're just running standard Docker containers, you can theoretically deploy to basically. And I know you can deploy to Windows too, but I don't do that. You could deploy to any Linux system um, with little to no hassle. Yeah, it's so sort of when you start using the custom features of an AWS or an Azure, that like Azure. Just to take a side note here has this really neat thing they do now, Chris. Um, if you're starting a new project. They have these products. Remember the wizards in Visual Studio? (laughs) Yeah. Right? Like you go to click, 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 generate me. They have that on Azure and they generate you a handy dandy Azure deployment script. Oh, yeah. Nice. So now if if you're kind of like not sure how to do it or you don't know how to or don't want to like bother doing like a Docker doku or, you know, a. Any kind of like fancier CI uh, flow, they'll do it for you. Oh, and if you happen to be visual, visual Studio Team Services customer, um, it'll automatically tie into there with your source control too, it all with your same Microsoft auth. My point in this is they are, to your point about working with developers, if it's like on the consumer side, if you're all in on Apple, you can have a really nice integrated experience. Yeah. If. I was more of a Microsoft shop
0: on the enterprise side. Yeah, yeah, on the enterprise. Uh, it, side.
1: It really, you, it, there's so much power, and they're charging like nothing for most of this stuff. Azure itself is pretty expensive, but like VS Team Services is certainly rivals Atlassian. Um, we evaluated it briefly and ended up sticking with Atlassian. But it, um, you know, the the Git integration, right? The uh, their version of GitHub, whatever Ooh. you want to call it. The, is quite good. I mean, it's it's really really nice, visually pleasing. Um, oh, and by the way, if you want to start with unit testing and you're maybe like understaffed like we are, or you're uh, you know just don't know what you're doing, don't worry. They have a bunch of prefab tests you can download and they can run for you right there in Visual Studio Team Services.
0: Huh. So uh, I also got a tip from the individual I was speaking to about something regarding Azure that I had no idea about. You have to have an active Azure subscription and you have to have a Microsoft account. Those are two things that I did not have. Uh, But if you do, you can just go in Chrome, I think maybe in Firefox to shell.azure.com and they will just spin up for you a shell, and it's PowerShell by default, but Bash is also available, and it's a shell on the Azure infrastructure, shell.azure.com, boom, you've got a shell, that's it, you just, if you have a Microsoft account, and you're signed in, and you have an Azure account of some kind, even a free one, and you're all logged in, you just go to shell.azure.com, and it just opens up to a terminal in your browser, that's from Microsoft just a like a bash shell in your terminal <laughs> in your browser i mean <laughs> it's just wow well mr dominic is there anything else any other wisdom or parting bits that we want to leave people before we get out of here
1: uh no i um yeah n- nothing go to the, go to the madbotter.com if you want to learn about ai and nuns yeah
0: and also check out jupiterbroadcasting.com/calendar for when our crazy live times are it sometimes moves around but we tried to update the calendar there jupiterbroadcasting.com/calendar and check out the new site Gosh, we should have mentioned this earlier, coder.show. We've also got a new RSS feed, coder.show slash RSS. Plug that in to your favorite podcast catcher and get the show every week. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Coder Radio program. And you know what? I should mention this too. We also have a Twitter handle at Coder Radio Show. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here. See you right back here next week.